Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Joy of Financial Planning podcast. The topics of this podcast are a complement to the book, Joy of Financial Planning, available in stores including Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. Joy of Financial Planning is about the belief that we can overcome the unique economic and life challenges we face as a generation by first getting our financial house in order. In fact, we have no other choice. Now more than ever, we must grow our wealth, follow our passions, live with compassion, and find a way to achieve a personalized version of the American dream. Just as it has been in prior generations, the ideal of the American dream is being challenged, not just because of the novel coronavirus pandemic, but because of the callous murder of a fellow black man, George Floyd, that we all got to see. The example of his abuse, and that of many others, cuts through the core of the American dreams I have believed in all of my life. I have a persistent belief that all are created equal, worthy of respect, deserving of opportunity, and the ideals of the American dream live inside all of us. I thank you for supporting dreams, your dreams, by listening to this podcast. The purpose of this content is to educate listeners and for them to inform others. This episode is part of a series of recorded Zoominars from my Jason Howell Company YouTube channel. That's where you'll find the video versions. In my business life, my wealth management firm collaborates with many experts. Together, we transform regular investors into patriarchs and matriarchs of their families and their communities. This episode features some of that expertise. Please send your feedback to jason at jasonhowell.com and give this episode a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts, if that's the kind of thing you do. For more about my unique brand of family wealth management, just go to jasonhowell.com. And now, values-based investing with Sarah Sung and John Klinger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Jason Howell Company Speaker Series Zoominars. My name is Jason Howell, and as always, I'm very happy to share my network, not only with our Jason Howell Company clients, but also with all of you, all of you watching now and those of you who'll be watching later. Welcome. Today, we've got a great show. A lot of our investors have asked us how they can get more involved in the community, how they can get more involved in making better choices with their investments, uh, more responsible investments, more sustainable investments, just doing more good here in this crazy year of 2020, which is finally almost over. Uh, to do that, we have found different partners uh, throughout the year to work with, and we invited one to come and share some of what they do with us today. That firm is Open Invest. We're very excited because what they do with financial advisors works with the people that they serve as well. So it's a win-win-win when you talk to partners like this. I've got two folks from Open Invest today, but before we get into all the details about what they do and how they do it, let's just meet Sarah and John. So Sarah, let's start with you. How has your day been? And how was that special meeting you had before the, uh, before the Zoominar today? So I was just telling Jason, I mean, yeah, Jason, before this meeting that, um, 
I had my one month check-in. So I've officially been with Open Invest for one month now. Um, but John mentioned it's felt like forever and I would agree. No, well, we're glad to have you. And um, I know Open Invest is glad to have all your previous experience um, as well. So good for them and good for you. And John, how has your day been today? Uh, hopefully no meetings with the boss, but um, busy? <laughs> Yes, no meetings with the boss, uh, so uh, I definitely dodged that bullet today, um, but, uh, but busy, yes. I uh, had a few client meetings this morning, and I'm excited to be here uh, talking with you today, Jason. No, well, we're so happy to have you and your expertise, both you and Sarah. Well, I think we've got a few folks that are in, so I'm going to go ahead and start sharing my screen. There you go, smooth as ever, sharing the screen. <laughs> and I'll clean up this so that we have a, a nice screen to look at for the future after this is recorded. If you came to Values-Based Investing for 2020 and beyond, you've come to the right Zoominar. We are very happy to have uh, both John and Sarah from Open Invest guest with us and share some of their expertise. And we're gonna get into that in just a couple of minutes. But before we do, a word from our sponsor. So Jason Howell Company, of course, is our sponsor. We are a family wealth management firm that works with folks who want to become patriarchs of their community, not only with maybe donating or participating and volunteering, but obviously in the way that they invest. We've discovered over the years that you can do a lot with your investing to help the community, which is exactly why we look to partners like Open Invest to assist us with assisting our clients. As we go over the next few years, we're gonna be doing more and more of this kind of work and hopefully tracking the impacts that we're all having um, on this earth, uh, in this country, uh, in our communities. The, the most important thing we can do is put some purpose to our profits. And so we're really happy to um, have our guests today and happy to do the work we do. And with that, we will go over to Sarah Sung, MBA, and get to know her a little bit more before we dive into all of the details. And so Sarah, we've got your bio here. You know, we all know that these bios are always much shorter than the very interesting lives uh, that we all lead. But before you got to Open Invest, you did a lot of things. I uh, worked for a lot of companies, startups, um, got to pick up some, some really interesting experiences. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so in addition to the MBA acronym, I actually also am a CPA. So you can add that on another. Wow, wow, okay. Um, so I spent a good chunk of my beginning years at Fidelity Investments, which you may have heard of, um, and then decided I wanted to go back to business school. So I did. I went to Columbia um, for two years. And then I spent the last five or so years working at various tech startups that were essentially um, dealing with digital media properties. So think of like a Washington Post or USA Today. So those were the types of clients that I formerly worked, for, uh, worked with in some of my previous positions. Um, and in those previous positions at the tech startups, I would say that I was mostly focused on the account management side of things. So really um, developing partnerships with clients and helping them grow and achieve whatever goals that they had. So that's, uh, that's essentially what I've been doing for the last five years or so. And then I recently, very recently, joined Open Invest uh, because I wanted to transition into a fintech role that was focused on social impact. 
So social impact is a particular passion of mine and I wanted it to be reintegrated into my um, actual work. And so that's what led me to my current role here at Open Invest. No, that's terrific. Now, you know, I'm a former, well, I'm an accounting major, uh, former accounting major, I guess the same difference since it was, oh, 20 years ago. Uh, can you tell us uh, maybe how that accounting background, I wasn't summa cum laude, like I know you were, um, but can you tell us how that accounting background has informed uh, the kind of work that you do with this kind of investing um, and, and even your business development that you work with other financial advisors uh, for? So honestly, I don't use my CPA at all. Oh, like this is <laughs> I wanted to hear like how amazing the CPA has helped you. <laughs> no, I mean, on, like I honestly, I took the test and then I haven't looked back since. Um, and this is probably like straight out of undergrad. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it just gives you that context for understanding the fundamentals of finance and accounting. And that's really important for working at a company like Open Invest that's focused in, you know, the financial services sector. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, fundamental analysis is, is one of the kinds of analyses that financial advisors, investment advisors can do. That's all about the financial statements and having that background as a CPA, even if you don't care about it anymore. <laughs> there is some, you know, some tacit knowledge that you have that a lot of folks uh, just aren't born with. And so it's great to have you uh, as, as part of this team. And I'm sure it's great to have you as part of the Open Invest team. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And John, uh, looking forward to uh, hearing a little bit about you. Again, we've, we've got this small snippet of like what your background <laughs> actually is. Um, we do see that you worked at Edward Jones for a short time, a, a competitor of, of many financial advisors out there. I think they manage about, what is it, a, a billion assets. So they're, they're a big firm, do a lot of stuff. But you've also had some experience with some analysis, um, you know, a firm that does analysis for financial advisory firms. Can you tell us a little bit about both? Yeah, yeah, happy to 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 go into that. Uh, Sarah, tough act to follow there, um, but I'll but I'll do my best. Um, yeah, just quick quick background about me. Um, you know, I've I've worked in finance and finance adjacent companies, and what I've really discovered as a, a passion of mine, and um, you know what led me to open invest is the opportunity to work with investment professionals and work um, with financial advisors, Jason, like yourself, and um, really helping to understand. Um, you know, how to make your business and, and your practice, uh, you know, even more elevated from where it is today. And um, I really appreciate and, and, and like that partnership and working with, you know, investment professionals in that capacity. And so I've done that with, with uh, my time at FactSet, which is a, a data and analytics provider. So providing a, a wide variety of um, different software services and, um, and analysis to those different investment professionals and firms. And so certainly enjoyed uh, my time there. And then transitioning to Open Invest, it was definitely a, a great um, combination of my, my passion for finance, but also um, still having that very technology enabled element that Open Invest brings to the table and be able to work with advisors. So that's really what excites me about uh, being at Open Invest. And, you know, one little window that I think um, was something that you and I kind of bonded over when we had our first conversations was around uh, Ray Dalio and principles and you mm -hmm. know, that book and his concept. I'm getting emails uh, now from Ray Dalio for his, I guess, his second book that he's putting together. How far have you gotten into uh, into the principles book? Did you finish it? 
So I, I did it actually, I, it was coincidentally that I finished the book prior to even hearing about open invest. And so it was really a, an interesting um, timing of when that happened. I was reading that book and then uh, found out that uh, two of the co-founders um, of open invest actually spent a, a great deal of time at, at Bridgewater Associates. So um, very interesting timing there. And, and it was certainly a, a, an interesting talking point um, um, as I started to explore open invest. Yeah, more than a talking point. I mean, Bridgewater, mm -hmm. one of the most successful hedge funds in history, Ray Dalio, one of the most successful investors in history. Mm -hmm. And to think that there are a couple of principles that are now part of the leadership for Open Invest, uh, that was attractive uh, to me for someone who is certainly impressed by their success over the years. I imagine Open Invest will have some similar success. At least that's my hope. Mm -hmm. We hope so as well. I bet you do. I bet you do. I bet Sarah does. She just got there. Come on. Uh, that's oh, yeah, great. Definitely. And I'm, I'm glad you went to Dayton. That's where my wife went to school. So um, cum laude or summa cum laude, doesn't matter. You're a good egg by me. Uh, since, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I don't know if you were, <laughs> since my wife went there. All right. Well, let's get into um, what we came to, to learn about today. Uh, your firm is a specialist in this area of values-based investing. Our firm is one of many advisory firms. I know that's probably at least had conversations with you about partnering on, on how we can take the knowledge we have of investing and combine it with the knowledge and the tools Open Invest has uh, to invest according to the way we believe uh, when it comes to our values and, and uh, you know, less risk and less volatility and more opportunity to do um, some powerful things with our profits that, um, that have big purposes. But before we sort of get into all the details, let's just talk in a big way. What do you consider, um, I guess we could start with you, Sarah, and then John, you can answer as well. What do you consider values-based investing? So values-based investing is otherwise known as socially responsible investing. So you may have heard that term SRI more commonly than values-based investing, um, but essentially it's aligning your investing strategy or portfolio to your personal values. And I think for Open Invest, we wanted to call out values-based investing because we really uh, feel strongly about that alignment piece to your personal values. And so um, values can mean a lot of different things. Um, so here at Open Invest, we actually have over 20 different values that uh, a person could potentially invest in. And that ranges from um, supporting employment of our veterans or investing in racial justice or supporting our LGBTQ community. So it really ranges the entire gamut. And um, yeah, that's essentially what values-based investing is in a nutshell. Thank you, Sarah. John, anything to add there? Truthfully, nothing to add. I think she, she summed it up perfectly there. Um, and that's really the, the goal of Open Invest is really, a, you know, uh, taking an individual's values and allowing them to align their investments to that. Um, and that's really what we strive to do. And, and we strive to uh, allow financial advisors and uh, to do for their clients as well. No, terrific. Terrific. Well, maybe we can get into this other kind of quirkier acronym. But I think from my studies, it's certainly a broader term as well. Um, can John, can you explain what ESG analysis, some call it ESG integration actually is? Um, yeah, so ESG integration and, and ESG analysis, so environmental, uh, social and governance uh, are different ways and different lenses to, uh, to look at the investment world. And so, you know, what ESG integration really is, it's the explicit and, and systematic inclusion of 
ESG issues into uh, investment analysis and investment decisions. And so, you know, some of the leading practitioners out there are not only analyzing financial information, but also analyzing ESG, ESG information. So as kind of Sarah mentioned, some of those different values that you can look at and, and ways to look at companies for the things that they're doing in line with those different buckets. Um, so it's certainly, um, we see investment professionals out there that are um, assessing these different, um, you know, not only financial information, but ESG information. And that's really what integration means. It, it doesn't necessarily mean though that certain, you know, sectors or countries or companies are prohibited from investing or, you know, traditional financial factors are ignored as a part of the overall investment process. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, every ESG issue for every company must be assessed or valued or, every investment decision is affected by ESG issues. Um, also, it does not mean that, you know, portfolio returns are necessarily sacrificed to perform ESG analysis and integration techniques, but it really is just kind of this all-encompassing practice of including that into the, the overall uh, investment, um, you know, uh, analysis. And while there is a great deal of overlap and we're talking about values-based investing, while there's a great deal of overlap between ESG integration and values-based investing, there's also many ways though that you can express values into a portfolio without considering the materiality of those uh, values to each firm. For example, you know, underweighting companies um, in a portfolio that rely on destructive forestry practices is not necessarily a decision that reflects the view on increasing one's financial returns. It could simply be a decision to not support those firms and instead invest more significantly in you know, firms with less destructive forestry practices. And, and while there may be long-term financial consequences to better forestry practices, that isn't the primary you know, reason for the decision. So there are pieces where there's overlap between you know, ESG integration analysis, but also some differentiation there between then values-based investing. You know, like Sarah said, there are over 20 categories at Open Invest. My, my father-in-law is a forester, so you mentioned forestry, which not everyone thinks of first, but that's certainly a big category. Mm-hmm. I want to underscore something uh, or clarify something that you said, though. Um, you, you mentioned that ESG analysis doesn't necessarily rule out, for example, oil industries or or oil companies or or different companies that people might immediately think, oh, that firm is a bad firm. And so that company is out of the portfolio. ESG analysis is something different. Uh, Yes. And so, so looking at something like, you know, you brought up, you know, for example, oil and gas and, and looking at that and, you know, when you're looking at that through ESG integration, it doesn't necessarily mean that all companies or an entire sector needs to be, um, excluded or removed from a portfolio. There's certainly, um, you know, ways to look at it. For example, if you look at something along like a bell curve, uh, if you take a sector and look at, you know, the companies in that sector on a bell curve and, and realize that there are, you know, maybe a top 20% that have some of the best practices in place for a particular, you know, um, you know, issue that you're looking at, for example, reducing greenhouse gas emissions and, you know, maybe identifying those top 20% as opposed to the top, you know, bottom 20%. There's certainly different ways to to look at it in terms of that lens there. Yeah, and I guess it's not eliminating, right? You could, as you said, underweight, which is to say, maybe you'll take some of the money that you had invested in XYZ company, you'll reduce it and then mm-hmm. add that money to something else. Exactly, exactly. Got it, got it. 
Well, Sarah, I want to ask you this next question about open invest, because having gone through orientation recently, having studied under John, uh, meeting with the, the CEO just now, uh, you might have this answer down pat more than anyone. How does open invest make this kind of investing easier for financial advisors for their clients? Sure. So as I mentioned, we have over 20 different values that you could potentially choose from. Um, it's not to say that you have to pick all 20 because there's probably some that don't align with your personal values, but we actually enable um, advisors to work with their clients and have that conversation to understand what are the, the values that you care about the most? What are the ones that you really want to prioritize in your investing strategy? So what you can do is work with the client and say, okay, so you feel very strongly about supporting um, the LGBTQ uh, group, or you feel very strongly about reducing greenhouse gas emissions. We can actually select both of those values in addition to many of our other values and have all of those values reflected in one portfolio. Um, and so essentially what we're doing is we're looking at a universe of different um, equities or stocks and saying, okay, so how does each of the, how do each of these stocks um, weight in terms of the different value that you care about? So is this a good actor as it relates to greenhouse gas emissions? Is this a good actor as it relates to supporting the LGBTQ um, value? And we have different criteria for each of those values and they're, they're pretty specific. So for example, um, the LGBTQ uh, value actually looks at a couple of different things. So it looks at one, the human rights campaigns, um, company equality index, and essentially uh, that index is saying how well a company treats employees um, who identify as LGBTQ. So we look at that index. And then we also look at the business for um, transgender equality, um, the statement uh, and signatories, and make sure that companies who have signed on for that, uh, uh, that particular statement have um, been overweighted for that particular cause. So essentially we're, we're fine tuning each of the criteria for each of these values um, and identifying the companies that, that are positive or negative for each of those values. And I guess you're doing this with your technology. That's the big you know, delta between say, a firm like mine or others that doesn't have that technology and a firm like yours that, you know, with the benefit of uh, Bridgewater alumni <laughs> has that technology built in and you're partnering with, uh, with financial advisory firms. Is that right? Yeah. So essentially uh, we have this platform that we call Optimus and you're able to actually create custom portfolios with each of your clients on the fly. So you can actually select each of the, the values or causes that they care about. And then within 30 to 60 seconds, it will generate a portfolio for you and, and show you all of the results of whether or not a company is positive, negative, or neutral for the specific value that you selected. So it's pretty, it's pretty automatic. That's wonderful. That's, that's a great tool. Um, we've played with it, obviously, and uh, very happy that you brought it to market. There's a question here from the chat, and either one of you can grab this, John or Sarah. 
Can you share how often your methodology is updated for specific causes and how often you add new causes? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I can feel that. So uh, I'll take the, the last one first. So speaking about um, introducing new causes and, and you know, bringing those to, to market. So um, we typically strive to, to have you know, maybe a, a cause a quarter or a cause a half. Um, but a lot of those are, are, are kind of based on, well, what are we being asked for? What are clients looking for? So we look to partner with you know, our clients and say, what are your clients looking for? Are there certain things that we don't have today that your clients would like to see built in um, you know, to, to the platform and built in as a particular cause? So you know, while we are you know, pushing our own initiatives, we also like to listen and kind of hear what, um, what the market has to say and what our clients have to say. Um, for the, the other question about um, methodology updates and, and kind of that frequency, um, you know, we do uh, by standard at least an, an annual review on our, our methodology. And also with that, we're vetting, making sure that our data sources that we, we have picked for those, the certain causes are still the best ones that we can be selecting from, that they still have the best update frequencies in place and they have um, you know, the deepest data we can get on a particular issue. And, and Jason, as you know well, we're partnered with a, a wide variety of data sources to, to give us very specific and give us very robust and rich data on the different data sets um, and causes that we do cover. And so we like to make sure that that stays um, updated and consistent. And so um, at a minimum, we're doing an annual review on those methodologies. Thank you for that, John. And, and as I've been studying, there's a, there's a big difference between the reporting of even five or six years ago of the Fortune 500, let's say, um, to now so that there is data available that's not necessarily financial statement data, but other data that those firms are reporting that a company like yours can source and really identify which one among these 20 plus causes are they supporting or ignoring? Yep, that's exactly correct. And so, you know, some of the information we get is, is self-reported from companies and some of it we're, we're leveraging from subject matter experts that we partner with that are going out and doing the investigation themselves. And so, as you mentioned, you know, some of these companies now today are actually just self-reporting information that we can leverage and use. Um, but we think it's equally as important um, to also then um, partner with uh, you know, nonprofits, NGOs, and other third parties that are, are doing some deep granular research, outside research on the companies themselves too. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Um, trust but verify type stuff or <laughs> what have you. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, Sarah, are you familiar with uh, the public benefit corporation status of Open Invest and, and sort of what that translates to to the common person? Yeah, so Open Invest is indeed a public benefit corp. And what that is, is it's a legally defined status. So it's something that you can actually um, sign up to be um, in terms of what kind of corporation you are. Um, so it's actually written into our legal charter and into our legal bylaws. So you may have heard of companies like Patagonia and Kickstarter. Those are also public benefit corporations. And essentially what this status allows us to do is to pursue a public benefit as a legally defined goal. Um, so for example, we can actually withhold distributing dividends to our shareholders if we feel that those funds are better off reinvested in social and environmental outcomes. Um, so, and furthermore, I would say that it protects our mission um, in the event of future capital raises or leadership changes, 
or anything else that kind of happens in the normal day-to-day -day of a corporation, it makes sure that that public benefit um, stays true to the core of the company and its mission. So that's why we've, our company has decided to become a public benefit corporation. Yeah, thank you. And you said this is something that the company has put essentially in their charter. So it's registered with the state that they're headquartered. Correct. Yes. So we legally have to do this. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, it's something that our firm has looked at and in, in here in Virginia, and it's um, yeah, it's not the worst thing. It's not the worst process to go through, but it, it's really a commitment and it's a very exciting commitment to make. I think partnering with firm like yours allows, allows a firm to say, well, you know, we are doing that. We are looking at different ways we can service our clients and by doing that serve the community. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. And I would just add that it's not only a commitment, it's really just a public statement as well. So you're putting yourself out there and saying, this is what we're doing and this is what we're committing to. Terrific, really great. Well, um, we don't have another question from the chat yet, but this final question we have here, I think will be, it'll be great to hear from both of you, your perspectives as to what you see as the future of this kind of investing. It's got so many names. There are so many myths. Um, it's ever-changing. Uh, John, we'll start with you. What do you see as the future of this kind of, I guess I would just call it intentional investing? Yeah, I can, I can start with that. And, um, you know, thinking about today, the, the kind of current picture um, of professionally managed assets, you know, right now it's, it's almost about a fourth of professionally managed assets are in some way, shape or form, ESG, SRI, you know, whatever term you'd like to use, um, you know, managed like that today. So currently we're seeing that at about, you know, around a fourth of that. And there's been a significant increase over the past few years, and this continues to grow. Um, so, you know, we believe that there's really not much doubt that this is going to continue as a trend. Um, and, and as you even mentioned earlier about kind of disclosure about certain companies and what they're disclosing, you know, that's becoming a trend in itself. And, you know, the public companies out there, um, you know, are increasingly disclosing specific ESG information and it's becoming the norm. Um, you know, starting next year in Europe, it's, it's going to be law. Um, and so the next, you know, wave of ESG investing that we see is, um, you know, going to rely maybe less on some of the um, opaque and aggregated scoring information that is dominating the landscape, um, but more so on, you know, detailed reporting and specific and consistent metrics and, you know, um, clear human equivalencies of the impact that companies are having um, on their employers, customers, communities, competitors, et cetera. So we believe the next wave here is really gonna be into the visibility and transparency behind ESG, SRI, impact investing. And, you know, that can be unlocked through, you know, the different types of reporting that will come with that uh, and really other measures that, that come into place. And so that's kind of what we think we'll, uh, we'll see the next uh, kind of evolution of the space. Law, by law in Europe, disclosing that information, that's certainly something. And I, I do believe there's something in the 2010 Dodd-Frank bill that speaks to uh, reporting in this way as well, if you're familiar with that at all. I'd have to double check. Maybe Sarah might know, but I'd have to double check on my end, but that's, that's, that's probably a fair point. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty um pretty interesting, pretty exciting to see this. Twenty five percent of all investing in the United States has gone towards this recently. Fascinating, Sarah. What do you see uh, as far as the future of this kind of investing? Yeah, I mean, it's. I would say a lot of what what John said is is definitely true. Um, I also see that you know not only becoming law, but also I see things changing within the United States. So for example, I don't know if you've heard, but the NASDAQ recently proposed a board diversity rule. So actually man, like mandating that boards need to be diverse from not only a gender perspective, but from a race as well as sexual orientation perspective. So there's definitely change happening all over the world. And it's not only you know, from a regulatory perspective, but it's also, you know, uh, the indexes, the exchanges, all of those uh, institutions that are also making this push. Um, and then I would just say, just to reiterate what John was saying, I think standardization is probably one of the things that's coming um, with, with regards to ESG investing. I think you probably know this and probably a lot of other advisors know this, that the data is inconsistently measured across different platforms and different systems. It's just, it's being calculated differently. It's being showed differently. And so eventually there's probably gonna be a consolidation of efforts and a standardization so that it's more clear how X firm is, is measuring ESG versus Y firm. And that's important. And that's one of the recommendations that have been coming from the governing bodies that are looking at this, the standardization so that when we are doing our analysis, uh, our fundamental analysis, we're, we're analyzing in the same way with the same data, that would be nice. Uh, and what about the demand? It's not a question on the list here, but from what I understand, the reason that you have these Fortune 500 firms self-reporting and, and potentially looking at mandated reporting, it's not because they're being nice. I mean, there's, there's a demand from institutions from high net worth, from millennials, the largest generation, slated to continue being the largest generation for the next 30 years. Aren't they demanding this kind of reporting and investing opportunity? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I would say the the trends that, that John mentioned, um, the increase is actually a 90% increase in ESG investing assets over the last four years. Wow. So 90%, that's a huge number. And who knows what, what that's gonna look like in the next couple of years, right? Um, with all of the events that are going on. So um, I think it's, it's, it's most likely going to be a, a continued upward trend for sure. Yeah, considering 2020, I don't see the new numbers uh, coming in any lower, Sarah. Uh, great point, great point. I'm going to stop the share and you all will be welcome to our big faces once again. So here we go. Uh, I've just really enjoyed learning more about, you know, John and Sarah personally and learning more about what they're doing at Open Invest to partner with firms like ours to give us the, um, the opportunity, the, the muscle to go in there and sift through that data and then give our clients the opportunity to choose between what 20 different categories of their own beliefs. That's just really exciting. Uh, I'd like to close with Sarah. So I'm gonna start with John and ask the question I always ask. Uh, John, if, I, if I'm an investor, heck, if I'm a financial advisor and I'm watching this, what's a good takeaway 
that um, that I can take away so that I can uh, be a more intentional investor going forward. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that we talk about with um, you know our clients every day is that, you know, everyday people are, are looking for things beyond financial returns. And I think that being able to engage clients um, about the things that matter to them the most, whether it's you know, certain environmental preferences or uh, maybe their religion or whatever it might be can help develop and um, really strengthen that bond. And so I think ESG values-based investing is really a window into that and just strengthening the relationship um, between advisor and client. And that's really what we're helping to facilitate. Oh, thank you, John. Sarah, same question. Give us one takeaway. So, um... I mean, just based off of the stats that John presented before, it's clear that this is growing and it's much bigger than anyone anticipated probably at this point in time. Um, and I think ESG investing is just going to become the expectation. Um, it's not gonna be an option. It's really just going to be the default. Yeah, the default, fascinating. Well, John Klinger, uh, Sarah, CPA, MBA, <laughs> brand new Open Invest employee. Uh, thank you both for being here and sharing your expertise with us and, uh, and all the folks who will be watching this in the future. I hope you have a great day. Enjoy the uh, very different holiday season and we'll be talking with you soon. Thank Thanks you. Thanks so much, Jason. You bet.